If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, we began a three-part mini-series called Male and Female, God Created Them. And last week, Pastor Allen began by looking at God's design for male and female in creation. This Sunday, I'm addressing God's design, male and female, in marriage, and addressing also the family, God's plans for the family in this text that we'll look at today. I would like to begin today by trying to get at the center of the problem that marriages and families face. It seems as though there has never been a more rapid-fire, all-out assault on marriage and family than in the last two or three decades. We are dizzied by the changes that the sexual revolution has brought about in our society. Marriage and family are almost afterthoughts of ancient history when we consider things like gender fluidity and choosing preferred pronouns and transgenderism. The ability to even define what a man or a woman is has seemed to escape our modern ability, or shall I say, sensibility, perhaps. But if we step back and evaluate the situation, the truth is confusion over marriage and the family is not a new problem. Confusion over marriage and the family is not a new problem. In his excellent book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, He lays out the long road that Western culture has walked to get to the place we are now. He explains it all with tremendous philosophical and cultural insight that I dare not try and retread his ground here this morning. That's not the point, but I do recommend that book or the shorter version of that book called Strange New World by Carl Truman. If you want to discover more of how we got to the place we are today, but let it suffice to say that in my lifetime, The sexual revolution's cutting edge has been areas of homosexuality and transgenderism. But I am old enough to know about the rising divorce rates in America in the 60s and 70s, the negative impacts that divorce has had on the institution of marriage. Again, friends, this is not a new problem. Even the New Testament, written so long ago, was written in such a way that we are confident that the same sexual perversions, the same negative views and misunderstandings of marriage, and the same permissiveness toward divorce preexisted our modern times, didn't they? To take that thought train just one step, one station back further in time, it was Jesus himself who said that the provisions for divorce given to Moses in the Old Testament were because of what? Do you remember? Hardness of heart. Imagine that. Hard-hearted, self-centeredness threatened the fabric of marriage and family millennia ago. Have I said this is not a new problem? The threats to marriage and family go all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, don't they? Which is why last week's message was so foundational for our consideration today. You see, marriage... As an institution, it preexisted the fall. Marriage was there in God's good design in the beginning. He said it was very good. And therefore, we conclude that the problem in marriage and the family 
is that we are all sinners. The heart of the problem is we are sinners. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, turn to them and maybe say with a little bit of lighthearted sarcasm, I'm sorry, honey. I know that this may come as a huge shock to you, but I am, in fact, a sinner. (laughs) Can you say that to your spouse? It's a big surprise. Or maybe if you're single here today, you might say, you know, uh, tell your friend sitting next to you. Or children could say that to their parents. Like, I know, mom and dad, you think I'm an angel, but I am, in fact, a sinner. (laughs) The greatest problem that all of us face in any relationship that we have is we are sinners. There's a book in my office by Dave Harvey called When Sinners Say I Do. I use it whenever I'm doing premarital counseling. That's a suggested book. And what Harvey writes is that we all come to the marriage with luggage. You might have heard it called baggage, you know, luggage. But inside of our luggage is sin. And until we sense the bitterness of our sin, he says, we will not taste the sweetness of marriage. We have to understand our own hearts and the bitterness of sin that we bring to the marriage. We have to know the problem. But praise God that in Christ and through God's word, we know the answer. The answer is the gospel to which our very marriages point. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and read God's word about God's design for marriage and family. This is not the only text we could have looked at today, but it is a foundational text. It's a great place for us to see what God has in mind for husbands and wives and children. And it's a great place for us to see the glorious truth of the gospel that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. So will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be reading beginning in verse 22 and all the way through chapter 6 and verse 4. Today I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is Ephesians 5, 22 and following. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Thank you for standing in honor of it. Would you please be seated? Would you join me in a brief word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I come to you now asking for your grace and strength to preach the word in season and out of season. Lord, would you use your holy word to impact our hearts and to teach us about your design for men and women, male and female, in marriage and in the home. God, would your Holy Spirit move amongst us so that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At Leonardtown Baptist Church, the elders interview every person who wants to join the church. What we're wanting to do is get to know you, hear your testimony of faith in Christ and repentance from sin. We desire to know that you understand the gospel, that you've believed the good news to be true for you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that Jesus rose again on the third day. And we want to ensure that you've followed Scripture's commands to be baptized by immersion after your conversion as a symbol of the work that God has done in your heart by crucifying your old self with Christ and raising you to walk in new Holy Spirit-led life. Another thing we do in those interviews is we make sure you understand how we operate, what our constitution and bylaws are, and what our statement of faith is. At Leonardtown Baptist, every member affirms the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as our statement of faith. Now, I always tell people there's more that could be said in a statement of faith, but there's certainly not less It's a great way to ensure that we all have a basic same page doctrinally that we're working on, working from. It's it's, uh, unity in truth that establishes our uh, fellowship as a church. Now, every time, or most every time, I do an elder interview, I always like to point out the article on the family in the Baptist, Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It's Article 23, if you were wondering. Now, I do that because in our cultural moment, I am not sure there is any area of life and doctrine that we will meet with such resistance as this one. What we believe is not new, is what Christians have believed as historic Orthodox Christianity for centuries. We hold to the historic Christian teaching on marriage and the family. But as we've noted, that is not popular in the prevailing winds of society today. Now, since it may have been a while since you've reviewed that article, I thought that before I gave a few points from the text today, it would be a good exercise for me to simply read that article to you in full. It will actually save me a little time in explaining my points of the text today because it does some explanation of biblical scriptures in the article. And about that, I'm sure no one will complain that we go more quickly through the points in a moment. So this is Baptist Faith and Message, Article 23. 
God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, as is her husband and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Children, from the moment of conception, are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. This is what we believe. If you are a member of Leonardtown Baptist Church, I don't often go fishing for them, but I I sincerely would love to hear you say, if you believe this to be true, a hearty amen. Well, since so many of you said a hearty amen, that encourages me to go quickly. I'm going to fly through some of the next section. I know you saw the outline today, okay? So buckle in your seatbelts, because what I'm praying is that for many of you, this is a reminder. But for some of you, you're here today and you're checking out Christianity. You want to know a little bit more about why Christians approach marriage and family the way that they do. The reason is because we're people of God's word, submitted to his holy word. If you want to know more about that, you could Google Baptist Faith and Message 2000 article one, which is on the scriptures. So we're going to look at the Bible. And what we actually need to do is actually back up just a little bit in the text to verse 18 of chapter five to catch the context of what the Apostle Paul had to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about marriages, husbands, wives, and children. So look at verse 18, if you will. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, so this is a comparison, don't be controlled by this substance, be controlled by this influence. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. The reason I took us back to verse 18 is what you need to understand from the text is that the the controlling verb, the main verb of this whole section is be filled with the Spirit. That is the main controlling verb. And you cannot be filled with the Spirit unless you've repented of your sins and believed the gospel. So let me just kind of lay it out for you here. I don't think that unbelievers can fulfill all of what it means to be married God's way by God's design without the help of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. When we have the Holy Spirit, we can fulfill God's design for our marriage. Even though marriage pre-exists civil governments and is for all humanity, Christians uniquely, with the help of the Spirit, can demonstrate something even greater about uh, through marriage, and that is the gospel. And so God's design for marriage is strengthened by us being filled with the Spirit. And so we can say, Spirit-filled Christians are empowered to honor Jesus Christ by, one, going to church. Did you see that right there? It says, address one another. You can't do that unless you're here. You have to come. So the Spirit helps us come. It helps us, the Holy Spirit helps us sing. Sing to one another. You see that? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Secondly, and then thirdly, giving thanks. Holy Spirit empowers us to give thanks to God the Father in every circumstance. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit helps us submit to one another. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another. That's the way the text kind of sets itself up. So we say this. Spirit-filled Christians are empowered to honor Jesus Christ by submitting to one another according to God's design which is, number one in your outline, wives submit to their husbands. Christian wives don't hear the word submit and think that's a bad word. They understand submission is a recognition of, hear this, relational order, not an acknowledgement of superiority or inferiority. Submission is a recognition of relational order and harmony, not an acknowledgement of superiority or inferiority. We know this to be true because Jesus, the Son, the eternally second person of the Trinity, equal with God the Father, submitted to him in all things. For the sake of clarity then, for the wives in the room today, I want to share what submission is not and a few things of what it is. To submit to your own husband does not mean you're unequal with him. Submission does not mean that you don't have an opinion. Submission does not mean that you have no say in decision-making. Submission doesn't mean you are your husband's servant. I sure hope not. And submission does not mean you do 99% of the work around the house. Submission does mean that you recognize that your husband is accountable to God to lead your family. And submission does mean that in matters where you potentially disagree, where there could arise some relational disharmony, that after having discussed everything together as equals, you willingly and joyfully follow his leadership, provided he is not asking you to do something that would be disobedient to God. Most importantly, submission means that you are doing what is fitting, 
Scripture says, as unto the Lord. Do you see that? So letter A, as to the Lord. It's in verse 22. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Your submission is a form of loving obedience to God and God's design for your marriage. So you submit to his headship as be the leader of your home, the spiritual leader. The husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, verse 23, his body, and is himself its savior, verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The husband is responsible for the leadership of the home. I'll share more about this when we get to the husbands in just a moment. So God's design is first that wives submit to their own husbands in the text. Secondly, in the text, is that husbands love their wives. Number two, husbands love their wives. How, you ask? Look at verse 25. It says plainly, as Christ loved the church, which means men are to love their wives sacrificially. Sacrificially. Bible says in verse 25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, the responsibility to love your wives as Christ loved the church is a sobering call. Again, for those of you who are new to the Bible, let me just spell it out. Christ loved the church by dying for her. He gave his very life and blood for her her. Forsaking all his rights, second person of the Trinity, humbled himself by taking on human flesh and then dying on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he did it not because we were proving ourselves to be so lovely and so deserving. It's the opposite in scripture. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. And then Paul says, you know, perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die on the battlefield or for the sake of the cause. But Christ, he died for us. God showed his love for us because Christ died for us when? While we were yet sinners. Now, I doubt that a woman would ever hesitate to submit herself to a husband who loved her as much as Jesus loves the church. Now, men, this text makes it plain that you cannot say, I'll start loving my wife when she starts submitting. That's kind of like the opposite of the way Christ loves the church. He died for the church while we were sinners, while we were in rebellion against him. Our love is a choice, a sacrificial commitment to our wives. This is a great deal of the problem, I think, in our present culture. As we say, we fall in love with someone, and I get the sentiment. Don't start throwing things at me or anything, okay? We list the, pers- list the reasons why we love the person, right? They're beautiful. They're successful. They're funny. He has great hair or whatever it is, right? But what happens when his hair falls out? Amen. Yeah, I hear that. Or oh me, right? And when her outer beauty diminishes, you better not, man. With age, his success takes a nosedive or there's financial trouble or sickness starts to overwhelm your spouse's body so that things aren't always laughs and giggles anymore. What do you do? 
This doesn't mean that we should stop looking for redeeming qualities in our spouses. But while nice qualities bring blessing and enjoyment, they are not the bond of marriage as God designs it. John MacArthur writes, quote, If every single, every single appealing characteristic and virtue of a man's wife were to suddenly disappear, the husband is still under obligation to love her. In fact, he is under greater obligation because her need for the healing and restorative power of selfless love is greater. That's the kind of love Christ has for the church, and therefore the kind of love every Christian husband is to have for his wife. So husbands love their wives first sacrificially. Secondly, they love them spiritually. Love them spiritually. Verse 26 and 27, Christ died for the church. That means he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, are you intentional about your wife's spiritual well-being? Are you thoughtful about how to protect her from sin, from temptation and impurity? Do you, do you guard your home from the evil one like Adam was supposed to dispose of the serpent from the garden? Love your wives like Christ loved us, sacrificially and in a purifying, sanctifying, spiritual kind of way. Also, do you see in the text that husbands love their wives as they love their own bodies? That's in verse 28. Paul says, in the same way husbands love their wives as their own bodies, my points are not very original today. He who loves his wife loves himself. So let's spell it out. How do you love your wife like your body? Well, we all nourish our own bodies. We cherish our bodies and we protect our bodies instinctively. So nourish her, cherish her, and protect her. Look at verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying the mystery of marriage refers to Christ and the church. Wow. R.C. Sproul writes, one of the most wonderful parts of the marriage ceremony is the vow where we take to cherish one another. To cherish means to hold one another in the highest esteem, to place an infinite value on the other. This is the kind of attitude that is to permeate the home, not a power struggle or a seesaw battle for more authority than the other person. Rather, the man is to love his wife as he loves his own flesh. A man takes care of his own body. He feeds himself, he eats, he drinks, he nourishes his body and protects it. He has a strong instinct to self-preservation. He is to love his wife even more than he loves himself. Reflecting on this mystery, the profound mystery, Frank Thielman writes, as surprising as it may seem, Paul is saying in verse 31, God has instituted marriage because the church is Christ's body. When we think back to God's design in the beginning, 
Think about the profound mystery we're talking about. God instituted marriage because the church is Christ's body and bride. This probably means that the union of husband and wife in one flesh was originally intended to prefigure and to illustrate the union that Christ now has with the church. And brothers and sisters, I never cease to be astonished by that truth. Paul realizes he's getting off on a tangent as Paul often does. And so in verse 33, he kind of brings it back and gives a summary. I like the way the Christian Standard Bible translates verse 33. Instead of the however in the ESV, the CSB says, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. That's the summary. Now let's go back and recall our framework We said spirit-filled Christians are empowered to honor Jesus Christ. We got that from verse 18 to 21. By submitting to one another the way God originally attended, which is spelled out in the verses we've studied. However, the relationship between husband and wife is not the only relationship that Paul addresses in this text. So we're going to look very briefly, thirdly, that's three, thirdly, at God's design that children obey their parents. Children, number three, obey their parents, A, as to the Lord. It's literally what verse one says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So important did God deem this particular duty of mankind that he included it in the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the law for his nation Israel and a reflection of God's moral character. The respect children are to have to their parents is essential for a well-ordered society. Go back and listen to my message on the fifth commandment. It's essential for the stability of the home and for the development and discipline and character in our children's lives. We find ourselves in great distress in these last days because among other things, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, Children are disobedient to their parents. God designs that children obey their parents for your own benefit. So you obey as to the Lord. And secondly, you obey for your own benefit. Ephesians 6 verses 2 and 3 says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now this Promise is more like a proverb. Generally speaking, it is true. If children will honor their parents, it will go well for them. That is the general trajectory in life. Finally, number four, God intends that fathers get involved with parenting. Fathers get involved with parenting. This is something that social scientists are noticing with the rise of single parenting and homosexual partnerships. It's evident even to secular sociologists that children most readily flourish in an environment with a mother and a father. God makes it clear he wants dads to engage in parenting. They're to do so, letter A, with sensitivity, letter B, with discipline, and letter C, with godly teaching. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, 
You've got to talk to your children about godly living. They need your godly counsel. Give them God's instructions for life. Read the Bible to them. Talk about decisions that they're making with them. These are God's instructions for Christian households to order themselves, and we would do well to heed them. Now, I know I've been kind of speeding quickly through the points on your outline today, but I hope all of them are clear and evident from the Bible as you look at God's word and consider God's design for marriage and the family. But I did that quickly because I wanted to have just a few moments with you to ask, how are you doing with these things? The hearty amen tells me many of you know the truths. So let's reflect today. How are you doing? Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the greatest thing that I could have preached on today was marriage. And the reason is because we are told in this text, marriage is really just a picture of the way Jesus loves the church. The mystery of all mysteries is that God ordained this human institution as a pointer to a greater reality. So you've gotten to hear today about that great reality, the good news that Jesus loved his bride so much that he gave his life for her on Calvary to demonstrate it while we were still sinners. So for you, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, the message and the conclusion, the application is repent of your sins and believe that great reality. That's the point. That's why God has you here today. But I wonder, as I turn my gaze toward Leonardtown Baptist Church, brothers and sisters, would your lost neighbor, would your coworker, know about the greater reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ by your marriage? Could the individuals in this room to whom I was just speaking, unbelievers, if they were watching your life closely and exploring Christianity, would they get a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your marriage? Of course, I know we are not perfect. <laughs> We're just a shadow of a greater reality. But our marriages are designed to display the love of Christ and the submission of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. So you see, I kind of fast-forwarded through our points today because my charge as a shepherd of this congregation is to shepherd the flock of God. I can only assume that if you're a sheep, you should know these things. You know what I've been preaching about. So the reminder is helpful, but what is perhaps more helpful is this evaluation of our hearts and lives. Let's not just be hearers of the word and deceive ourselves, like James says. Let us be doers of the word. Brothers and sisters, how are our marriages? How are the relationships in your home between parents and children? Children, how are you doing at obeying your parents as unto the Lord? I don't ask by way of piling on guilt. I ask in hope. I ask in hope because my hope is 
The spirit of him, as Paul says, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, who also dwells in you, will give life to your mortal bodies. The spirit is my hope. The Holy Spirit empowering you and filling you. We are to be filled with the Spirit for the ordinary tasks of singing to each other, giving thanks to God, and for submitting to one another. Why? Paul says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the why. You know, sometimes your, your, your teenagers, they say, well, why do I have to? This is why, young people, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because mom and dad are perfect, dear young child, but because Christ is worthy. Wives submit to their husbands not because their husbands are perfect. We all know that's not true. But because godly women love their Lord Jesus first. Husbands love their wives not because they are first and foremost always lovable. The self-evident beauty and kindness of the wives in the room notwithstanding. (laughs) But hear me, because husbands of Leonardtown Baptist Church declare our allegiance and ultimate reverence to Christ. And since we've all submitted ourselves to Jesus Christ... And his lordship, that's what regenerate church membership means. It means we're all born again believers. We have the spirit in us. And we've submitted ourselves to Christ and his lordship. Then let's re-engage today with passion to obey his word when it comes to our relationships in the home. So I ask, men, will you commit, husbands, will you commit to loving your wives sacrificially? You should be willing to die for her. Protect her at all costs. Take a bullet for her. For some of you, the the chivalry really rises to the top when I start talking about like taking a bullet for your wife. Like you're like, yes, and you've got that down. But then let me follow that up with a quick question. Would you give up watching football as much as you do for her to feel less neglected and more spiritually nourished? Now I know some of your wives like football. (laughs) So fill in whatever blank fits there for you. How about this one? Could you agree to never touch alcohol again out of love for your wife? If that was a besetting sin for you, repeated drunkenness, if that had been a problem, would you give it all up for her? I'll take a bullet for her. Would you give it up? Or would you be willing to stay home? And watch the kids so she can go to a women's Bible study one night. Love her like you love yourselves, men. That's what the Bible says. We're pretty good at loving ourselves. So just get out a sheet of paper, write on the top, how do I love me? Let me count the ways. (laughs) And just start writing, list them. Like, how do you love yourself? And do that for your wife. Pretty practical right there. Pretty practical. And most importantly, When you get that list together, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to fill you with his spirit out of reverence for Jesus Christ to do those things. Don't do it in your own strength because you and I know we are both miserable failures in our own strength. Also, men, if you happen to be a father, will you commit today to engaging more in parenting? Look to help with gentle discipline, godly instruction at every turn. 
as you get up in the morning, as you lie down at night, when you're in the car driving, doing chores on the weekends, ask the Holy Spirit to help you be a better father. Okay? I feel like I was doing like a little bit of a marriage ceremony today. It's like, husbands, will you commit to this? Now, wives, okay, here, women, wives, will you commit today to submitting to your husband as unto the Lord? You know your strengths, you know your worth, you know your dignity and your God-given ability, and yet God asks you to voluntarily submit to your own husband's leadership to bring order and harmony in your home as your husband's helpmate. Did you know that your submission to your husband can become an engine of evangelism? Like the Bible literally says that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that, do you see that? So that, there's the reason why. Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Leonardtown, we have some phenomenal women of God who obey this text very well by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep on keeping on, sisters. Keep on loving your husbands and showing your love of the Spirit to them so that they may be one. And you know what, church? We need to pray for sisters that come regularly and don't have their husband coming with them to church. God bless their effort, their faithfulness, and let's pray for their spouses to get saved. Didn't expect to get emotional at that. Ask the Holy Spirit, women. Ask the Spirit to fill you with respect for your husband out of reverence for Christ, to submit to his headship, and to nurture your entire family by being your husband's helper in your home. Children, did you guess that I was coming to you next? I'm asking you today, will you commit to obeying your parents? God commands that you honor your father and mother. If you are a Christian child, ask the Holy Spirit to help you be obedient to them out of your own reverence for Jesus Christ. Even when they ask you to do things that aren't always fun or what you would want to do in that moment. Learning to respect authority will give you a huge advantage throughout your life. And it honors God greatly. We're almost halfway through. I guess, let's see, 30 days. Okay, so we're almost halfway through the first month of 2023. As you start out new year, new me, sometimes you find it's new year, same me. It can be discouraging. It feels like we are living in dark and evil days sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we just want to ask God, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? What is God's will for us? And for that, I ask you for this last moment of the message to look back just a few more verses in verse 15. Paul says to the Ephesians, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's not a new problem. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is his will? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The answer for how to live in these dark days is to let the controlling influence of your life not be alcohol or anything else that gets you to do what it wants you to do, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit who controls your actions and your, your, your conduct and how you live. And let the Holy Spirit be the controlling influence who empowers you to live for Jesus by following God's good design for ordered relationships in our home. God-honoring marriages and families are so crucial to our society, and they are an incredible way for us to let the light of Christ shine on us, in us, and through us in these dark and evil days.